Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. That. ESPN's Bill Connolly back once again. Hanging out right here, youtube.com slash cover three and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. You can smash it. You can tickle it. But just press that subscribe and press that like and come and join us in the chat. We will take questions uh, for Bill or for any of us as we continue to work our way uh, throughout this conversation. Bill comes and joins us uh, every year and sometimes multiple times throughout a a year to be able to uh, get sort of that wide view of the college football landscape. A lot of fun, and we are glad to have him back. He has a multitude of pieces and content available at ESPN.com right now. You also have probably heard him on ESPN family of network the podcasts of television too hey and uh and of course um we are going to get into that sp plus is out returning production is out and uh, all of that information has allowed for him to be able to spin some ceiling and floor conversation that i thought was very interesting (laughs) Uh, we're going to keep rocking with that but first uh some headlines some news from thursday night our great notre dame crisis has been solved so gerard parker the tight ends coach for the 2022 season is reportedly going to be promoted to offensive coordinator this comes after notre dame uh talked to kansas state's colin klein uh talked to utah's andy ludwig and now we've also got uh, a move where we've got a quarterbacks coach you know sort of like rounding the staff into form now that it seems that we're settled um actually let's bill i'll throw it to you first as all of these steps have been unfolding for notre dame What's been your general read on sort of like the way that the Fighting Irish are, are handling business in, in replacing Tommy Reese? Well, I do think it's really interesting that nobody, this is kind of a semi-disastrous process, but nobody really seems to be blaming Marcus Freeman for it. Um, right. I mean, it's been pretty openly, it's been pretty clear when you make a public appearance at a Notre Dame sporting event with your prospective offensive coordinator, uh, and then suddenly your school isn't willing to pay the buyout, that that wasn't your fault. Um, You know, they should have never gotten to that stage if buyout was going to be an issue or whatever else was going on there. Um, It's still pretty underwhelming to end up where we ended up here, though. Um, You know, Parker, offensive coordinator, two years at West Virginia. I'm looking at my SP Plus rankings. They were 89th and 95th in offensive SP Plus his two years. Um, two ways to look at that. Number one, you know, maybe he wasn't very good, but number two, his quarterbacks were bad. Um, and maybe if he had the quarterback, everything would have been different. And now he's going to have the quarterback. So we'll find out at least what he thinks he can do with an offense and, and, and everything else. And it's still pretty underwhelming to get here though. I, I mean, I think Bill said it today. We said it 
yesterday uh, we we asked the question is, is Notre Dame just being cheap and and I it does make you wonder is, is there more to this story uh, if, if I can spend this in a way to say something I have not said on this show yet <laughs> about this topic over the last two or three episodes well there's been some damage control here I thought that was interesting because Heather Dennett you know in the report that popped on Thursday night said that you know it's like Notre Dame sources indicate that it wasn't just the buyout and they right. could have made things work. And but by the time that we had gotten the financial commitment, Andy Ludwig was already on a plane back to Salt Lake City. And it's, I don't know. The, my favorite take is uh, you can't fly I, private again. Get, get, get back from. Salt Lake to, <laughs> I like I mean, the idea that they just hired him to copy Andy Ludwig's offense. <laughs> I, I mean, Come get all of his ideas, That's send right. them back, and then uh, and then be able to install the same offense on the cheap with somebody else. Can we can we spend this in a, in a positive way for Utah about what it says about Andy Ludwig's opinion of Cam Rising's timeline to be back and healthy? I mean, like if if you if you're going to jump if you're Andy Ludwig for a job, and I think Notre Dame is a step up from Utah. It you could jump after the year you just had second consecutive Rose Bowl, or if you want to run it back one more time with Rising and, and, and Keithy's coming back, right? And you got a, a decent number of players in that team, and they might be a little more explosive this year. Who knows? But if you didn't feel good about Rising, I think you probably try to find a way to just be really patient and make that work, you know? Um, I, I, I don't have yes. Utah. I don't have Utah fans in my, among my friends or my family. I do have a lot of Notre Dame fans <laughs> among friends and family. And I feel bad for Gerard Parker because he did just get to be the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame, which is yeah. a pretty good spot to be as a football coach. But people, Notre Dame fans are pissed. Yeah. He's in a very tough spot because it's those things like it's it's like a transfer recruiting situation with fans where they'd never heard of the guy before, but then as soon as he becomes the person that's supposed to be <laughs> Everybody thinks he's great. He's the guy we have to have. And then we don't get him. Everybody sucks. I hope this person needs to be fired. And there's kind of that thing going on with Ludwig, but not so much Ludwig, just in general, the process that led them to getting here, which we've gone over. Like, he's supposed to be this guy. And apparently the only reason it isn't this guy is because suddenly Notre Dame got cheap and didn't want to pay the buyout for him and the offensive line coach. And that is the way the fan base is taking to it. That is what they're, you know, I'm hearing the last couple. Yeah, it doesn't. If you win, if if Parker turns out great, then none of it matters. It was just offseason fodder. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Pete Carroll's seventh choice at USC, all that stuff. But um, you know, that it was. Yeah, I just it was underwhelming. And and you can say if he was really just dying to get out because he didn't like what he was coming back, he knew his reputation would go down after this year and he wanted to kind of wait it out. Maybe that is a good sign for Utah that he felt comfortable going back that quickly. But seemed like this was a lot more on Notre Dame than anything else. And uh, we'll see. Yeah, and this isn't that dissimilar, honestly, than the start of the Brian Kelly era. Yep. They're, like Brian Kelly wasn't able to do whatever he wanted when he first became the head coach of Notre Dame either. And a lot of that was due to maybe some some scared feelings about the previous head coaches that they'd had there. So they were kind of, you know, they weren't just buying in fully. But Marcus Freeman's going through something Brian Kelly went through earlier. I'm surprised that he is. I feel like he, you would have been maybe give him a little more leeway, but we'll see. Maybe, you know, once he starts winning games, he'll have more decision making power and won't be overridden by those above him. Tom, can we get a can we get a Italian pronunciation check on our new quarterbacks coach? Gino Guiduli. Guiduli, nice. Like I, I, 
I, I have not spoken to Gino Guadulli. I'm sorry. Uh, Gino Guadulli. <laughs> no, so, but he uh, was at Cincinnati for five years, you know, for most of the Luke Fickle tenure, ends up spending the last two years with the Bearcats as the play caller, was such a valuable coach to Fickle that he decides to bring him uh, to Wisconsin. That, to me, is what I'm hearing from Notre Dame fans as like the – the, the piece that you can be like, well, we got a good quarterbacks coach to go with it because if your offensive coordinator is you know coming from being a tight ends coach, then you got to have something to at least uh, give the idea that you're going to be able to get some good quarterback developments, particularly when the quarterback is so important. Is that is that just um, you know trying to tuck yourself in and feel better about this, or do we think that uh, Guadulli is going to be a good addition to the staff? I, I think he could be a good addition to the staff. Also, from Guadulli's standpoint. Notre Dame is a better job than Wisconsin, but not by like leaps and bounds, but I, I think it's, at least in my head, a, a step up. But also with C.J. Carr coming in, Lloyd Carr's grandson, who is thought of as a pretty good prospect. And so if you're a quarterback coach, that's a guy that if you maintain the relationship or establish a relationship and, and, and keep him in the fold, like that's a guy you could sort of hit your wagon to and, and elevate yourself as a coach, it, it's no different than like you know a, a pitching coach wanting to go put, you know coach a really team of really good arms. Uh, like the the talent that you have connections to, it it does seem to matter. So I, it's probably fine. Like I I do think. Um, oh, uh, Des, I, I thought Ritter got better during his college what? career. I was yeah, really not like I was not a Desmond Ritter fan at all as a sophomore. And people are like, this kid's got some juice. Like I. I don't see it yet, and I was wrong on that. I, or, well, maybe I was right as a sophomore, but like I, I was late to to pick up just how much he was improving. And maybe Guduli gets get some credit for that. Yeah, it, and if you are Guduli, you know this is being under Phil Longo, right? Is a little bit more of like a vertical roadblock, I would say, in in terms of like final say, how much you really can be able to have your hands on this. Uh, you know, I, I kind of think that. This is a, a little bit of a step up in terms of the authority and your voice in the room, but I, you know, I say that not as a as a coach. All right, Bill. All the assistant coaching moves were s- almost basically, you know, putting all the pieces together. Now that Notre Dame has settled, is there one uh, assistant coaching hire or move or a couple that have, have really stood out to you from this recent spin of the of the carousel? <clears throat> Well, Longo is the the most noteworthy one just because of how weird it felt um, and how much of an acknowledgement it seems to be. Like I was, I was reminded of Bob Stoops, uh, the stories he was telling, he would tell about when he first got to Oklahoma in '99, and um, you know, the historical version of him hiring Mike Leach had to do with, you know, I hated defending that offense; it was so hard, and therefore I wanted that, uh, I wanted everybody else to, you know, have to experience that. And I, the one time I've ever talked to Bob Stoops, he was like, "Yeah, that's kind of true, but really, I just needed quarterbacks. I needed a system who that would allow me to." sign quarterbacks and within like a month he signed josh heupel nate hibble from georgia and jason white um who so he in one month he signed like his next however long jason white was there his next 17 years worth of quarterbacks uh all in just at once and so uh it worked and it reminded me a lot of this i mean it was almost like fickle saying i know what our tradition is here i know what I, that I can recruit big linemen and all that other stuff. And, and I still want to run the ball, but also I want to make sure I've, I can sign blue chip quarterbacks. So let's, uh, let's go find a coordinator that'll allow me to do that. And, and, and it worked they roped in like three transfers immediately. So that I think it's really interesting right now that Georgia Southern uh, last year's Georgia Southern team might end up being one of the more impactful teams of the portal era, just because it demonstrated how clearly you can shift identity like that. 
Um, oh. You know, he signed whatever it was, three quarterbacks and four receivers. Uh, Fickle did right out of the gate here after signing Longo. Maybe that's a sign that you can make massive changes very, very quickly. And uh, you know, we'll see if it works. Maybe it's square peg, round hole still even in the portal area. But uh, I'm, I'm really curious about that. Especially when you go to your AD and say, I want to hire Longo and he doesn't overrule it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tanner Mordecai, one of the like big, is he the alpha in that room? He's the most experienced anyway. Um, So I would have to assume so. Um, Speaking of transfers and we'll take questions throughout. If you want to drop them in the chat, this one comes from Eddie and it's for Bill. Eddie says, how are (laughs) we're about to get into SP plus how are transfer portal players such as Tanner Mordecai, uh, how are their production factored in to SP plus? Um, it's a lot. It's a lot harder than it used to be. Um, still trying to figure out the best process for transfers in general. But after like, get, getting a year's worth of data last year, I kind of have a, at least a slightly better idea. Basically, the, the way it used to be when you know if you signed five transfers, it was a lot. Um, I, I could pretty much account for it pretty well by just basically plugging your your production at your old school into the production at your new school. So if you if a if a team lost its starting quarterback but brought in somebody else's starting quarterback, you know you'd end up with. 50% returning production for yardage at the quarterback position or whatever. And it worked pretty well um, because it was pretty low volume. Then suddenly last year, you've got teams signing 18 transfers, uh, among whom are the soon-to-be Heisman winner and the defending Bolitnikoff winner. That was never how that worked. And, and I knew I didn't have a very good read on how to do that. But at, at, taking last year into account now, you still have that returning production piece where your production just gets plugged right into the numerator and denominator at your new school. And so it counts as returning production. But then it also, um, the recruiting part of SP plus projections now is a lot more complicated than it used to be where I could just kind of take averages uh, from whatever services and, and plug it in and use that as this year's value. Um transfer volume transfer quality and then you know the quality of the freshmen come in and all kind of play a role and depending on the year involved they play a different level of a role um so it's it's a little it's a little weird right now and um i can't say that based on the way i do it with transfer volume and transfer quality and all that the number one recruiting class as far as sp plus is concerned for 2023 was lsu's um, because they mix kind of top 10-ish class with a whole bunch of transfers, a whole bunch of pretty good transfers, mm-hmm. experienced transfers. And so they'll get the most credit for recruiting this year. And then like next year and the year after when the transfers have been kind of filtered out, Alabama will get the most credit for for this year because they had the best um, four-year recruiting class, I guess you could say. So it's a little weird. Uh, it's, it's, um, and the sample size, you know, I have two years now for, for basically doing this, and that's not really the sample size I, I like, but I guess with college football, we never get the sample size we like. So we'll see. Yeah. I don't know if you listen to our locks pods during the season, but if you've seen my record the last two years, you know that I am also struggling trying to figure out how to account <laughs> for transfers and all that kind of stuff. It's, it, it's weird. It's, it's very weird. <laughs> Bill, one follow-up to that. How do you, how do we avoid um, double counting the production that the transfers are bringing in with also the high rating? Because obviously, yeah. like transfers who have been really highly rated or really highly productive will usually be highly rated. But yet we do have some transfers who, you know, like take a Denver Harris who who left A and M to go to LSU. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's there's some signal in that he actually played as a true freshman, but he didn't play a lot. Right. And we had him as a five star out of high school. 
Yeah. Like he's, you know, driving needs some improvement, but ultimately like when he's on the field, he's pretty good. Like how do we avoid the double count for like a Jordan Addison, right? Who won the Blitnikoff. We had him as yep. a five-star transfer. You know, he also like you mash the yards in there. Like how do you kind of parse those out? I mean, right now I don't. Um, that's the, that's the easy answer. I mean, I guess the way I'm looking at it right now is that with Jordan Addison, um, he was a sure thing transfer. He wasn't a, we think he's still, we think he's still going to be really good. It was, we know he's really good. And so, you know, USC did get kind of double counted in terms of the, the transfer ratings. And then also, um, the production, but I still, I mean, SP plus still undersold uh, USC's offense last year. So, um, you know, I, I think right now I'm just rolling with it. And, and once there's more data and I can kind of fiddle with the, with the weights and whatnot, we can figure out something better. But right now, you know, what I did last year was okay, but it, it wasn't overselling those guys. It was underselling them, if anything. So let's start with uh, with the returning production as, as we start to you know unpack because returning production is of course a piece of SP plus you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're building up to the big daddy right here. <laughs> we we had this conversation with you here on the Cover Three podcast before about the way that the extra COVID year has just wrecked trying to like yeah. keep track of this stuff and, and coaches have said the same thing it's impossible it's a scholarship crunch and you i remember you told us we've seen numbers we've never seen before mm-hmm. i guess number one do you think that that is starting to calm down just a little bit and then what were you know some what, what are the parameters like when they go to espn.com and when they pull up the story you know where where are the lines that you would draw and say like if it's higher than this number this is like really significant if it's lower than this number, then like what this is going to be a yeah. big question. <clears throat> yeah, I think uh, we've definitely we were really from a returning production standpoint because of the portal. We kind of went back to normal last year. Like I'm looking at, um, you know, I've been collecting this data since 2014. Um, the average like the national average for returning production was 63 percent in 14, 62, 63, 64, 62, 61, 63. So all right in that range. Um and then in 2021, it was 77% on average. Mm-hmm. Um, and then last year, it was 63. And this year, it's so far, it's 62. So since I take transfers into account, uh, and you can, you know, if you lose guys, you can bring in more guys, all that other stuff, it seems to have, have balanced out from that perspective. We know there's there is more guys in the player pool still, and, and um, that hasn't changed. But for my purposes, it does seem to have returned to normal in that regard. Bill, I, I, I had a uh, an interesting note that I pulled out from the returning production piece. And it's yeah. something I know that, you know, like, you know, I used to rap about a lot. And it said, you know, broken out by position slash player, you're looking at roughly 29% for the quarterback, 6% for the running back. Each of the four receivers and or tight ends, about 9% uh, for each offensive lineman. Yep. He said, with each year of data, offensive line snaps become a heavier piece of the equation, which I find interesting. I also found that interesting. I'm, I'm wondering, <laughs> like, what why – as the years go on, is that becoming a bigger part of the equation? Well, I think it always has been. I just didn't have that data. I think that's the right. easiest answer. Um, Cause you know, when I first started doing this um, you know, I didn't have access to snap counts. Uh, basically all I could really glean from offensive line was how many games you've started, how many games you started last year, how many you've started total. Um, and then, you know, were you all conference or whatever? And that's fine. Uh, I may do, but with, with kind of, bad inputs there offensive line returning production on the offensive line didn't really move the needle all that much in my in the, like the overall equation because it just wasn't good it, it didn't tell the right story um but 
now that I have that piece of, of info and, and now that I've had it for a few years, like every time I kind of, you know, every off season I go in and just look at the weights, like how could, you know, you do that retrofitting exercise that is very statistically, you know, the, the, the nerds will shame you for, but it's kind of where I always start off with just to see how the things are changing as I get more data. And every single time I start fiddling with that stuff in like December after the season's over, the, the, it appears that I could have made better projections by weighting offensive line snap counts more. So therefore I do it moving forward. And it is, I mean, the narrative that I crafted when I didn't have any good offensive line stats was that the most important areas on offense were quarterback by far, obviously, but then that receiver piece, the, the continuity in the receiving core mattered a ton still kind of does, but it appears that continuity on the offensive line is the second most important thing behind quarterback. And um, yeah, like I said, I think that was always the answer. I just didn't have the right data to prove it. And what percentage of this uh, year over year change is just called Virginia? <laughs> That's right. It's nice to have extreme examples. And, and we certainly had an extreme example last year, not only with how much Virginia lost, but how bad their offensive line was after they lost all those guys. You, you break it down like on the site, you've got the overall returning production, then you've got it broken down by offense, defense, and how they rank. And have you noticed, is there a correlation between like the impact that the returning production has? Is it stronger if you have more on offense or more on defense? Like I look at the rankings right now, and Tom Herman is stepping into the a very good spot in that FAU has the third most returning production in the country. But while it's first on the defensive side of the ball, it's 59th on the offensive side of the ball. So mm -hmm. is there an area where you've seen results indicate that it's better to have more guys returning on defense or offense? Um, it seems like there, you know, I have the weighting set up differently for the two. And I do think that um, defense is a little more um, like if you return 90% of your defense, it probably means a little bit more than if you return 90% of your offense mm -hmm. um, for, for whatever that reason is. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I'm open to speculating, but it, it's that's a bigger in terms of how it's projected to change SP plus the extremes on defense are, are counted are, are a little heavier uh, overall. So I'm, I'm open to theories on that, but that's that's what it appears to be. I, I don't have a theory, but that is that is fun. Because it, it's sort of counter to the the idea that offense is a little more of a team game, where, while defense is more of like a collective individual effort. Yeah, right? like that is, huh? Not, I'm, I'm gonna be thinking about the rest rest of the day. That's that's fun. <laughs> I wonder yeah. if it's just experience and like instinct kind of coming into fact when you're playing in a defense and knowing what you're supposed to do. Whereas I think sometimes maybe on offense, talent just overwhelms it. You know what I mean? And, offense, talent and or system right yeah like, uh, you know you an offensive coordinator at least if he has the right quarterback can probably figure things out uh, if he's really good or has a really good system or whatever i don't know like i'm yeah i'm open to brainstorms <laughs> so there's a team and this is where we have to take the numbers and this is where we have to take what we know and what we expect there's a team that not only is very very low in the returning production but also has turnover at both the offensive and defensive coordinator positions on the staff. The offense ranks number 120 out of 133. The defense ranks number 127 out of 133. As a team, the Alabama Crimson Tide are number 125. Now, I'm, I'm asking you to step like out of the data and then just like as we're just sitting here talking ball, yep. uh, what concerns you or like where, where are you looking at this Alabama team as we head into a season that no Bryce Young, turnover everywhere, production lost. Yep. It's an interesting season in Tuscaloosa. 
The sky's falling and they're, they're going to go six and six. Um, clip it, Jordan, clip it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think it is certainly noteworthy that they were projected fourth in SP+. I don't think they've ever been projected lower than second, maybe a third somewhere in there. Um, so, yeah, the sky is – by their by their standards that they've set, um, this is certainly a, a falling apart situation. But, no, I mean, it's it's a lot of change, and he's dealt with this change before. And, and there is certainly – for those national powers that recruit most of the four- and five-star kids, um, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, whoever else – um, there is kind of a different standard when it comes to returning production. You're not going to rank number – Georgia's never going to rank number one in returning production. They're just going to – they're mm-hmm. going to lose too many blue chippers and and they're going to lose backups to other schools and then they're going to sign a bunch of new five stars and be just fine. Um, so I do kind of – when you look at those teams, I do kind of look at, at them in a different way. You know, Kent State's way down there. They're probably going to have a real tough year this year and Alabama's going to have a real tough year by ranking fourth. Um, so – yeah, there is, it is a difference, but I mean, that doesn't even take into account the coordinator changes. Um, but it just acknowledges that they lost their starting quarterback, uh, starting running back, um, number three and four receiving options, uh, three offensive line starters, and most of the backups. Um, mm-hmm. Like I'm counting, uh, th- there were what, 11 guys who had more than 30 snaps on the offensive line, and four of them come back. Um, defensively it's a little better but it's still top two defensive tackles top two linebackers and and, uh, half the two deep of the secondary that's just a lot i mean obviously they're replacing all these guys with five stars or or high four stars or whatever and it might be just fine uh and maybe it's telling that he didn't dip really dip into the portal you know he kind of needed jameer gibbs last year and and we kind of knew he needed a running back last year and he went out and got one he didn't really do much especially on offense so you know, maybe he thinks it's just fine. Maybe he's waiting till the spring portal explosion and, and get guys then. But um, it's just it's a lot. It's a lot of change and they'll probably be fine. But, they, you know, there's a slightly less uh, sure chance of that than normal. I, I, we don't want to clip Bill on this, but like if this <laughs> if this happens, uh, right, like like inevitably Bama will slide. They will not continue to be Death Star Bama you know, for the next 100 years. Most you likely argue they're not Death Star Bama right now. They're just one of the best teams in college football. Yeah. Right. So this is probably how it looks, right? right? You, 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 did, you didn't get Ryan Grubb from Washington. You, you had to settle for Tommy Reese. You didn't get to hire Jeremy Pruitt. Whether you believe those reports, I do. That you, that's probably who you wanted to hire. You had to end <sighs> up getting Kevin Steele, uh. right? Like you lose Bryce Young, who... NFL guys have some questions about the size, but in college, the guy's like really, really absurd. And has, has always been a killer, like literally for the last six years that he's played football. I mean, go back to his sophomore year in Cali, a, a total stud. If if we're doing this in 2024, looking back, we're like, okay, we 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 could have seen this as as the start of the fall, not not getting the coordinators that you really wanted, not being able to replace yep. the quarterback, losing a bunch of important guys, like. Maybe SP Plus is seeing something, putting them fourth, but yet they're like ceiling and floor, which I I don't want to jump ahead of that article too fast, but maybe we should, you know, if we're talking to one team, mention it. I mean, what, what is Bama ceiling and floor? It's got to be good. Um, really good. Yeah, like their floor, and, and I define that we'll talk about this later, I guess, but um, I kind of looked at ceilings and floors, realistic ceilings and floors, like what has at least a 10% chance of happening, basically. Not like Nebraska having a 0.02 chance of going 12-0, and therefore their ceiling is 12-0. and Yes. Um, Nebraska's going no, undefeated. As, as far as re- semi-realistic ceilings, we're looking at 11-1 and one to 8-8. Uh, 
uh, to eight and four for Alabama. So still mostly there. Tuscaloosa would burn to the ground and you look at their schedule and, and how they're projected they're, they're, they're favorite in every single game but it's you know 69% win probability against Texas and 72 at Mississippi State and 68 at A&M and 63 geez they're all in the 60s 63 Tennessee 65 LSU you don't win every single game you only win 65% of the time when you're a 65% win probability so that does open the door if they don't overachieve the ratings that it does open the door for a few more uh, tight upsets here. And, you know, last year they still ended up second because of the upside they showed in their good games. Um, and the fact that we, we freaked out and talked about how much, how terrible they are this year when they lost to Tennessee and LSU in the last second on the road. Um, like they're still probably going to be really, really, really good. But I guess the offensive line is where I think, is the biggest like for I, I for that ceilings and floors piece? I, I did a little biggest variable for each team. I just went with the overarching kind of change theme for Alabama, but really, offensive line was just mediocre this yes. last year. And um, Bryce, because of Bryce Young, you you got away with it more than you would with a mortal quarterback. So that's the one area where things absolutely have to change, and they have to change with at least at minimum two more start uh, two new starters. So th- not, there is not- that. Not to do 25 minutes on Alabama, but I don't know. That's good I, for clicks. I, it is good for clicks. I, I assume SP Plus sees Tyler Booker <laughs> as one of the returning starters, if you will. Um, yeah, I mean, he he had 400 snaps, so they okay, yeah, like yeah, I he, he counts for that. I think we're gonna be talking about him NFL draft, like you know, in in 2024. Yeah, like, really Tyler. legitimate guy, like, like yeah. first round guy. Yeah, I yeah, like I saw him at IMG. He just looked different. Um, I I think there's a couple of reasons why why Javion Cohen transferred to Miami, mm, <laughs> and he might be one of them. We'll uh, we'll keep our well, and also allegedly, 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 maybe, maybe, maybe something about a law school. Well, our listeners put together the dots. They they, they I, found the they found the IG. They 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 found. <laughs> They found her IG and the you know aspiring law student. Where am I going to you know? Like oh. a, a listener said that that actually should be an off season segment where we just like we we throw out things that we have heard and that cannot confirm at all, and then just let the cover three internet sleuths just like turn up because you know you so at least gave them the the crumb. You're like it could be Javion Cohen who transferred to Miami. Then we found out that his girlfriend was an aspiring law student, and you're she went to Alabama as well. You're just kind of like well. That's when you know you've got an established podcast, by the way, is when you're when you've got the audience that'll do work for you. It's, and look, I don't we don't want anything to like we don't want them to uh, we don't sick them on anybody. Right. Because we don't want to have I don't think that our listeners are like that. But we do want them to contribute to the conversation. Great research department. The, uh, the cover three P the C three PI cover three private investigators that can uh, turn it up on the Internet. Between our listeners and chat GPT, I don't have to do anything anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We will go from returning production to uh, SP plus. And again, the, the ceilings and floors is a, a really fun piece to look at. Uh, we'll dive into that with a focus on uh, some of the teams that stand out from that exercise and more with ESPN's Bill Connolly. Next.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, again with ESPN's Bill Connolly. Uh, a slew of uh, excellent uh, information available at ESPN right now. Uh, the returning production rankings, the SP+, and then from SP+, diving a little bit into the ceiling and the floor uh, for all of the teams. Uh, you you, so you used uh, Mark's way too early top 25, yeah. and then you threw in five more to be able to give us a, a nice landscape of sort of the top you know, 30 or so let's start with just SP plus in general. What were some of the, uh, once the, you hit the button numbers are run <laughs> and you got some shifts from like the way things ended and maybe even from your own expectations, uh, who are some, uh, some e- either risers or fallers that really stood out and caught your eye uh, once you got the new numbers in? Well, what the, the thing I was most scared of when I, you know, hit the button, the proverbial button here was that Texas was going to be like third or something. Um, All season. And, it wasn't just you, though. That's like, no, no, that's I, I felt like that. I, I felt justified because no computer was able to master the whole. They're clearly very good and they're clearly going to completely fall apart in the fourth quarter of every close game. Um so, like, I, I, yeah, I wasn't alone there. I, I felt okay about it. But I was a little worried they were going to be higher than I preferred. And so the fact that they ended up coming in ninth, um, that, that's fine. That, you know, once you once you uh, move the bar uh, a little too far, then, then suddenly ninth doesn't seem too bad. Um, I, was, I was heading into this exercise. I was curious about Texas. I was curious about Florida State um, because they did finish strong. I know every single, uh, fan on the, on, on talking about the Knowles internet has informed me that SP plus has no clue about their offense. That's fine. Um, it really, <laughs> the, the problem with Florida state last year was that they were 40th after their three game losing streak on 40th on offense, 38th overall, because they just hadn't, They'd shown upside, but they they were not consistent. They had had a couple of very poor offensive games. So the fact that they then overachieved projections pretty drastically for about four weeks at that point in the season was only going to make so much of a difference and seemed like SP Plus had a decent read on them by the end of the year again. So I'm pretty comfortable with them being around 11, but I was curious. I was worried they were still going to be like 19th or something. I was going to really get yelled at. Um, I think the other most noteworthy thing here is that we got what six Pac-12 teams in the top twenty-one. Um, as the league is falling apart, as the league is falling apart, and to be sure, the other six teams in that league do not grade out well at all. But um, you know, so this is kind of a the the, the average kind of tells a, a an incomplete story. But you've got number eight, ten, thirteen, sixteen, and twenty-one in that conference, um, and and then and then uh, so sorry, five in the top twenty-one, and then Oregon State's thirty-first. Um, like that's. That could be really, really fun. I the, the average projected uh, conference wins for those teams. Oregon's at six point nine. USC's at six point nine. Uh, Washington's at six point five. UCLA's six point three, and Utah's six point two. So every single close game that one of those teams plays has a massive impact on what could be a really fun Pac-12 race. Yeah, it yeah. tells me the Pac-12 champion's going to be ten and three. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, no nobody's making the playoff from the Pac-12 mm-hmm. this year unless USC suddenly no can play a top twenty defense, which I feel like we kind of know isn't likely, but 
But well, Oregon um, and UCLA too. It's like Oregon, yeah. USC, and UCLA. Really, really good offense and very, very suspect defense, especially from a Power Five standard. So yeah, yeah, all five. Fun. All five of those teams have projected offenses 12th or better, and project, and only one of them has a defense better than 38th. Uh, Utah is 25th projected on on defense. So also, that Pac-12 group of six doesn't include Oregon State, right? Well, five. It was five, and then five. Oregon State okay, was sorry. 31st. I looked at the list wrong. Um, but yeah, Oregon State is is sixth in, in, overall, and they're they're 31st. They're only at 5.5 average conference wins. And that uh, defense this is going to be ordered at three points. So. Yeah, <laughs> I have no idea what to expect of Oregon State because they were so not Oregon State last year. Suddenly they, yeah. they were really inconsistent, didn't have good quarterback play and had a great defense even before the Florida game. So I don't know what that means if they just kind of revert to form this year or what's going on. Bill, I, I don't know if you've pulled this or not. I probably should have done some show prep here and, 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 yeah. and asked you to. Is there any team that stands out to you in, in the first run of these? And I know you do another one after spring ball and you do another one you yeah. know, before the season, obviously. And, and this is, you know, it's, I love that we have this because it gives us awesome content to start arguing about and start, start, start to frame the offseason discussion. It's also, you know, still early, but are there any teams that, that, that you can spot that are, are projecting way outside their normal range? Like this is the, probably the best version of X I've ever projected or like oh. the worst version of X I've ever projected? Well, it's always hard with SP Plus because you do kind of if, – if you were better than you normally are last year, you're probably going to be projected to regress the next year. It's kind of – you know, it kind of pulls you toward your history in certain ways, whether that's because I use recent history, whether that's because I use recruiting rankings. I mean, whatever it is, you're kind of projected and, – and you're projected because that's usually how it works. Um, but I did think it was really interesting – Looking at Schleybaugh's way too early. Um, and great, like I, I, I gave him, whether he wanted it or not, I gave him my own input from that when he was making that list. Um, but really, of the top teams in that list, the only ones that are anywhere that are not really close to where Schleybaugh had them, um, Florida State is lower. Uh, Florida, you know, he had them fourth. But then, you know, like Tennessee's a little higher, they're sixth, and he had them 10th. TCU, he had them 12th, and SP Plus has them 19th. Um, but that, that's really, and Texas is higher because of course Texas is higher, but otherwise you have to look at like Oregon state or Tulane or teams like that to, you know, that he had ranked and that will probably have a good year and a good win total and therefore be ranked at the end of the year in AP. Um, there just weren't any standouts. I thought that was really interesting. Florida state's as close as it comes, but even Florida state's projected to have a really good year because they don't play anybody better than them except maybe LSU. It's also like with Schleyball, I, I, being that he's not a computer system, he's probably also taking into account path. Like if you put Florida State in the SEC or the Big Ten, I really doubt that Schleybaugh would have them fourth, right? Like yep. part of the reason why we have this Florida State helium this offseason is because everybody coming back, but also because they're going to play <laughs> eight or nine games in which they're double-digit favorites, yep. most likely. So they only really have three or four ball games that are legitimately – losable unless they really screw up yeah so i like i think that's part of it, whereas sp plus is just rating the quality right. of the team not the projected record of the team right and if you look at like i didn't share average projected win totals in the sp plus projections partially because we still don't know the max schedule and a few teams don't have like 12th games yet um so it's it's kind of incomplete but for the top teams we know their schedules and if i sort by like average projected wins Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State are still one, two, three, just like they are with Schleyball. But then, you know, Penn State, Oregon, Alabama, USC, Florida State, Clemson are kind of the next batch. He ranks those teams pretty high, except Clemson, who he had 15th. 
Um, so yeah, in, in that way, I guess the standouts, so to speak, are really boring standouts. They're Texas, <laughs> they're Oklahoma, who he had unranked and SP plus still really likes. Um, UCLA maybe is projected, uh, you know, SP plus is, is more optimistic about them, but yeah, I think the standout here was that there really weren't any, and that's kind of interesting in and of itself. Does the playoff committee use your information? No, they, they, they proudly defiantly uh, bold. Like they are proud to say they do not use advanced stats in, stats in any way, shape or form. Uh, they do get stuff from sports source analytics, um, but it's not opponent adjusted. Um, it, it is not any sort of system. They are very proud to say that they do not use all of the information available to them that would help them pick the best or, or most deserving teams. No, because they only want to use information that they could help push the voters to a certain direction. <laughs> yes, CFP and on, put our hats on. <laughs> Just saying, it's what they do. It is and- funny, though, because like, I, I don't know if you guys, who in this group has done that whole mock selection thing in um, – in, they won't in, let me build. They don't want me. They don't want me anywhere near them. I mean, I've, seen, I, I've seen the team sheets. I have not yeah. sat in the room, but I've seen the team sheets. So they, they do get a dashboard basically, and and if you stand like all the stats that they use, yards and points and blah blah blah, um, they do try to sort of adjust just based on the opponent averages you face. But basically, if you stand out in a good way, you have a red a green dot next to it, and you stand out in a bad way, you have a red dot. So basically, you pull mm. up two teams, and you're just counting the green and red dots. Right uh, is what it comes down to, and it's almost um, like they could steer it in a certain direction. Well, it's like the relative yards, right? Like they, right. it's, it's right. um, it's like if you gained if you gain four hundred yards against a team that allows three hundred, then it shows up as like one hundred thirty three point three 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 or however whatever the formatting is there. So, so you've been on it. I, yeah, I got to do it the, my first year at. Uh, How many at questions East. did they let you ask before they moved? On? I, 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 I all but st- we, we. They always do the 2014 season. That's what they have mm-hmm. pulled up. And I, I mean, I was all but standing on the table, like stomping in favor of Marshall that year. Uh, if you remember that whole deal, um, and you know, it was not. They didn't choose this schedule. They had games dropped and all that stuff. But um, needless to say, Marshall did not have a lot of green dots because they didn't. They, you know, they ain't played nobody. But I answered, I, 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 I was proud of myself. Like I was, I am very good spirited when I talk about this stuff, but they used like yards per point. That's one of the stats on that, on that screen. And that's, that's a regression to the mean factor. That's if you're mm-hmm. too high, you're going to come down. Mm-hmm. If you're too low, you're going to come up. And they were using it as a, you're good or you're not kind of deal. And I, I said, this stat sucks. It, does, it should not be used Thank in you. this way. Um, so I was, I, I, I was proud of it. You're in, you're in a room full of former athletes and I'm just this, this nerd who everybody expects to go well, actually about everything. And I, I stood up for at least a couple things. I love that. Um, can we talk a little Illinois? Okay. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> okay. I'm always, I'm always getting criticism for not talking enough it's Illinois on this show. <laughs> we, we, we got a, I think we got like a one-star review for, uh, I don't know, the guy, the guy had some, uh, curious way to to write the word illinois uh, to make fair make fun of tom i i do see though i i ran last year's sp plus against the preseason sp plus for this year and they are i think one of the only three or four power five teams that rounds down to a, a minus 10 in, in terms of year over year adjustment is, is nice. that just is that just returning production or does sp plus see some like you know, unsustainable stuff that they were doing last year. What, I don't know how much you've looked into the Illini. 
Let's see. Um, I, I admittedly have not, but I, I do have my uh, my spreadsheets here. Um, hater, hater <laughs> alert. Absolutely, like completely. Um, so if it was if SP Plus was based solely on returning production, they would be projected twenty sixth overall. Um, if it was based solely on recruiting, they would be it would they would be projected sixty seventh. And if it was based solely on on recent history as a whole, they'd be projected like seventy fifth. So that kind of tells you the story. Their um, they their success last year. I mean, number one, their offense still stunk. Um, like that, I don't think it's controversial to say that they were a very one sided team in that regard. But it is kind of looking at them as like do it again, and then we'll trust you. Um, their offense is projected to improve uh, from what 99th to 82nd, but their defense is projected to regress from second to 13th. Um, so it, that really might just be a like, okay, that's great that you did it once, but maybe that was a little too good and you're probably not going to match that this year. Oh, they will. Okay. <laughs> um, it, I mentioned that there's the, the ceilings and the floor, uh, another, another piece that you can find on ESPN.com. Uh, as, uh, Bill mentioned earlier, we're talking like the 10% on either side, you know, yeah. like, you know, reasonable here. Uh, so want to just sort of run through a couple that stood out to me. You, and this is where, again, I'm, I'm asking for us to be able to talk ball, but also what the numbers say. So TCU ceiling 10 and two floor six and six. <laughs> Love I, it. And the big, the big 12 can do that. Right. Yeah. I mean, like with as many one score games as, as even TCU was in last year and coming yeah. up on the right side of them. So just from your bill, CI, like which, where do you think they fall in that window? Um, <sighs> lower I, i'm i mean we saw last year like we we know how this works with the big 12 baylor and oklahoma state win most of their close games make the conference title game one of them almost makes the playoff and then they both whatever oklahoma state ended up last year they both ended up extremely with media with extremely mediocre records last year so we know what can happen if you don't have the right pieces but and i've talked about like a close game formula for a long time like you got to have Coaching is part of close games, but if you don't have the right quarterback play, the right timely execution, the right special teams, all that other stuff, you can you can go from one end of the spectrum to the other very quickly. So, um, you know, TCU now, TCU and K State both. K State, um, there's the, what, yeah, ten and two and six and six. That's their ceiling in floor two. Um, if the close games go the other way, if if you know you, you know you're going to be playing in a lot of them, uh, the only teams that might not be playing in a lot of close games are Texas and Oklahoma, but can't really count on that. Uh, can't really you know they, they got to kind of prove that they're actually uh, what you know SP Plus and other metrics think they could be. Um, otherwise, it's just going to be who wins the close games, and that's usually not the same team twice in a row. So I do think TCU, even if they're still a top twenty ish level team, they're going to be. They could easily finish seven and five or something in that neighborhood. I don't think that would be a surprise at all. When we were discussing like what you consider floor and ceiling earlier, you said, you know, 10% and that like Nebraska going 12 and 0 was 0.02%. Would you say TCU reaching the playoff last year was 0.02%? Um, I would say, well, definitely two or three percent at the at the least i mean you could have they definitely overachieved projections obviously um but they were still on paper probably more like a 10 and two ish team Mm -hmm. not necessarily 12 whatever they ended up 13 and two 
Um, like they were still fortunate, but also they were better than projected. There's no question about that. Um, so they were definitely up there, but probably not a 0.02 situation. They were more reliant. They were supposed to bounce back a decent amount. It's just they, they bounced back far more than that. So Nebraska fans, you can go 12 and 0. That's right. Don't Talk give up eight, hope. Whatever. What is what is 0.02%? Like one, let's see. Point. TCU was sitting on 28 to one to win the big 12 mm-hmm. last year. Yeah. And 0.02% is about one in 5,000. So they yeah. are Nebraska there telling you, you there's a chance. Yeah. This also just for, for future framing of conversations is a really important thing to remember, right? You can be a team that is a legitimate, like top 15 quality team mm-hmm. and have a record that is somewhere between six and six mm-hmm. and, you know, 10 and two, 11 and one. And that, that's why it's so important to actually look at other metrics you know, like an SP plus as opposed to just the win-loss record. Yeah. Because win-loss record is not as predictive as other things that you look at. And that's right. I can't believe they, they went this. I'm like, is there really that big of a difference between seven and like like seven and five and nine and three? It not really in terms of quality of play. And that yeah. I think there's something athletic directors should look at too, by the way. Like sometimes they make just some decisions that are a little a little baffling because of the win-loss record. I understand that win-loss record does drive booster donations or lack thereof and, and, you know, fan apathy and whatnot. But I, I, well, I think, you know, I I don't know if if athletic directors are, are, you know, how smart they're getting in that regard, but I do think in other sports, we are kind of seeing that. I mean, I realize bringing up a soccer example will thrill certain people in this room more than others, but um, (laughs) you know, that's the the old go-to example with, with Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool, right? His last season, everything fell apart for him at Borussia Dortmund. They were in the relegation zone for a while and nothing was really working for them. And, and his reputation supposedly took a hit. I, I thought he was still pretty awesome. Um, but those XG figures, the advanced stats uh, that soccer had at that point, certainly suggested that they were about the, the most unlucky team in Europe and that he was still really good. So he re- quits at the end of the year. Liverpool is looking for a replacement for Rodgers, Brennan Rodgers. Mm-hmm. And they're like, this guy's still one of the three or four best managers in Europe. And um, they, you know, uh, that's a, I think advanced stats get too much credit for that example because he was still, I thought it was pretty clear he was awesome. But, um, but you did, you do see that sometimes in that, like, that extra layer of context can, you know, maybe prevent you from eliminating some names from your list that, uh, that you shouldn't. Who you got winning the Premier League? I mean, City, duh. Like after yesterday, yeah. Especially after I would, it would have probably been City regardless of yesterday, but it's definitely City now. Yeah. Especially after Aston Villa beats Arsenal Saturday morning. Ooh, now's the time to catch them. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, I've got a couple other teams, uh, and I know that we we might have some uh, some suggest some requests from the chat as well before we get out of here. Uh, Tom Bud, y'all got any any teams that catch your eye that you want to bring attention to? Colorado. I want to talk about Colorado because YouTube seems to be juicing the algorithm in Dion's favor. Every time we talk <laughs> Colorado, Dion Sanders, Colorado, Dion Sanders, Colorado, Dion Sanders, the numbers for the podcast seem to go up a lot. But legitimately, 40-plus transfers taken this year, and they're not done. <laughs> yeah. Did your computer start to smoke when you put this in? What What? What are your thoughts on, on, on Colorado this season? Because this is kind of unlike anything we've ever seen, really. Yeah, I mean, that's I, last year I said heading into the year that USC and LSU were unprojectable, and I think Colorado is absolutely in that boat this year. Because, I mean, I, okay, so of the, of the transfers <laughs> they're taking in, absolutely 
obviously the transfer portal has upgraded their talent level, but who is really who's a proven star at the FBS level? And that part's important. Like, I mean, I, I know that um, Travis Hunter is awesome. Like, there's no question about that. Um, but at the who has proven that they are uh, at, at, with FBS stats? Because I don't use FCS stats for returning production. I did that for a while, and it just made things worse. I'm sure I could, you know, put in a little bit, and then it would make it better. But right now, I don't do any. Like Todd Alston, the defensive end's pretty solid. Um, I guess Dominic, the other defensive end from Arkansas, is solid. He he had nine tackles for loss last year. Taylor Upshaw's fine, um, but. I, I, I mean, I think basically SP plus was like, okay, clearly they're going to be better. I'm just like, whatever. Like they were so bad last year that they're coming up from, they're projected to improve by 10 points, which is just about as much as anybody is projected to improve by, but improving by 10 points gets you to 94th because that's how horrible they were last year. That's how completely devoid of talent that they were last year. Um, so like, uh, I, they're probably going to be better than the nineties, but I still, I'm not going to trust them to be better, to be better than like the seventies. Like their cornerbacks are going to be awesome, but what else is going to be awesome? But the way that the ratings are going right now, even some of the, like Colorado is in the bottom, 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 bottom of the power five, but the distance between the power five and the group of five right now in the ratings is stark. Yeah. I mean, like you could, you could be the, let's see the eighth or ninth best team in the Mac and, in the pack 12 and the eighth or ninth best team in the pack 12 is probably what's in the sixties, like middle of the road for FBS yep. altogether. Yeah, that is, that has been kind of interesting. Um, you know, a decade ago we, we took TCU and Utah from the, the mid major ranks. Um, and now we we're taking three of probably what the five most high upside G five teams and we're making them power conference teams now. Um, so that's we're four really, including BYU. But um, so it, it is kind of a weird spot for G fives at the moment, and and I like I, I I assume somebody will play at a top twenty level. Maybe it's Tulane again or somebody else. But looking at the the candidates, there's no obvious team that's absolutely going to be uh, really good this year. And part of it's because we just took three of them and, and removed G five status. I have, I want to talk to you about Iowa because we've we focused a lot. On the offense, Brian Ferentz, 25 points per game, seven wins. You can do it, Brian. We all believe in you. But what I want to talk about is in SP+. Plus, come on. Come on. I SP+, plus has them at 27th. Mm-hmm. Offensively, they're ranked 81st. And defensively, shock of shocks, they are ranked first. But when you look at the returning production, Iowa ranks 94th overall, offensively yeah. 72nd, defensively 102nd. So how does a team that's lost that much defense production still rank first in defensive? I, I think it, it's really hard um, for the those ex, to, to figure out those extreme teams. I don't necessarily think I do a good enough job of of the extreme awesome on one side of the ball and and just unforgivably terrible on the other. Yeah, you know, we have some of those in both directions, and I never feel like I get a good enough read from a projection standpoint. Because I mean, that's like I said, the one thing you can count on with projections is everything. All the extremes are are projected to kind of come regress or progress toward the mean. Um, and so I always start the, the, the projections are best. I've learned when you start with that overall number, which, you know, 13.5 27th for Iowa, but then divvying out the credit after you do that, I never feel I get that totally right. So, you know, 
81st and first, I guess part of the deal is you can't possibly project that offense to rank better than 81st. Mm -hmm. So the credit has to go somewhere. And when you give the credit to the defense, defense ranks number one again. It is, I mean, the defense is projected to regress by like six points, but is still number one because everybody else is too. So how much does this go, Chip? You you have another Iowa? No. Okay. (laughs) So the Georgia Bulldogs, two time national champions, ceiling 12 and 0. Floor nine and three. Yet, 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 the odds of finishing eleven and one or better. So the odds of finishing eleven and one or twelve and zero, sixty two percent. Whoa. Yeah, um, the nine and three just they barely. I was really hoping they'd be ten and two floor. Uh, that would have um, saved a couple of fun tweets yesterday about you know ESPN analyst shows how Georgia could go nine and three. Um, hey, you are fueling the next national championship run with this nine and three. That's floor. right. And I tweeted out yesterday that technically they do have a 0.03 chance of, of going six and six. So mm-hmm. therefore, uh, when you see that, so they, they thought we were going to go six and six this year. Now, you know where that came from. <laughs> um, no, they basically, there's a 12% chance of going nine and three or worse. Therefore the like it's, it's 22% 12 and oh, which is double anybody else. It's 39% 11 and one. 26% 10 and 2, but just a little bit like 9% uh, and, and 2% basically from there. So, yeah, it would, it would, I was, I was really hoping SP Plus would do me a favor on that one and project them a hair higher. They really do, though. I mean, they're 62% win probability at Tennessee, which I think makes perfect sense. Everything else is 83% or higher. It's, um, it's just a perfect combination of, of great projections and, uh, Ball State replacing Oklahoma on the non-conference list, I guess. Didn't you also not believe in the Kansas City Chiefs and say that 2022 was going to be a rebuilding year for them? Yeah, what, I, why are all football teams all of a sudden doing the no one believes? Well, back in, in my Rock M Nation days, we had a run-in series, uh, not to bring up Bob Stoops again, which is kind of weird. Now I'm doing it twice. But um, he was the best in the world at the disrespect fuel in the mid to late aughts. And so we had a series, the Disrespect Chronicles, because um, I remember the in 08, um, after they scored whatever they scored on Missouri in the in the Big 12 championship game, like 65 or something, it was six or seventh straight game of 60 plus points. Sam Bradford in the interview was like, yeah, they, you know, we saw they had newspaper clippings, all the Missouri players saying we were lucky to be blah, blah, blah. Like, no, they invented a newspaper article and put it on their board and everybody just believed it because the newspaper said it was true. Nobody on the Missouri team was telling, was saying they were lucky to be as good as they were successful or whatever but they believed it so yeah. i guess it was called like the sooner herald or something. that's right <laughs> the, the, the the missouri post um no like but i guess if you want to believe something and it's staring you in the face then you're gonna believe it because it helps so pretty easy pretty easy to provide that fuel apparently i have some analytics of my own here we have three minutes left we need 13 likes to hit 100 and if so the chat Bill will give them 30 seconds on whatever team they want. That means we need to average slightly over four more likes per remaining vid- like minute of this show. And while you guys like the video, I will ask Bill, what projection so far scares you the most? <laughs> um, I mean, the easy answer would be Texas and Oklahoma, but I do think – but there's logic to that. They really were better than they showed last year. Um, they're, they're, they're better than their record showed last year. Um, and Oklahoma still finished 10th with with – you know, despite the fact that they only had one quarterback and that quarterback missed a couple of games that were embarrassing. So that part I get, I'm, I'm looking through the list here. Like I said, I mean, from a conventional wisdom standpoint, everything looks pretty good at the top. Um, 
We'll say, well, having Ole Miss in Florida in the top 20 doesn't make me feel awesome. Um, yeah, Ole Miss's what? floor is five and seven. That was my favorite. Mm-hmm. Ceiling <laughs> 10 and two. Floor, no, no bowl. Yeah, no, that's um, <laughs> the, 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 yeah, Oklahoma State's another one that was like 10 and two and five and seven. Um, I figure between Ole Miss and Florida, one of those two teams is coming nowhere near uh, like 10 and two or whatever, but maybe the other one does. Like there are still wins to be had there. Is 57 the highest you've ever had Kansas to start a season? Yeah, we got oh, God. Kansas. We hit 100. Chat says they Can- want to hear Kansas. Kansas. A lot, lot of Kansas in the chat. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, sure. Or one guy's typing this repeatedly. And right. and the, the the most interesting part about Kansas being projected 57th is because of regression to the mean factors and all that, they're still projected to fall all the way to 30th offensively, and they're still 57th. So – I, I mean, I haven't been – I'm sure I had some sort of old Rock M Nation S back when you had the ampersand in there, SP+. Plus. Uh, I, I'm sure in 08 I would have projected them pretty high, whatever I had going on there. But, you know, obviously they haven't been projected higher than like 90th in, in like a decade. So mm-hmm. um, let's see where this goes. All right, one last one. Do we have time for one more? Yep, Oregon. I like Oregon. <laughs> That's my. I think their their offense was disappointing, or their defense, excuse me, was disappointing last year. And I think, um, you know, but well, both Oregon and Washington, I kind of have the exact same opinions. The transfer quarterback was way better than I expected it to be. Um, the defense was worse than I expected it to be. But they're bringing in transfers there, and if they're healthier, they'll be. Both of those teams have top five offensive ceilings and top 15 or 20 defensive ceilings. So problem is both of them do. And USC does too. And like you said, nobody's going to go 12 and one or 13 and zero. but that should be really, really fun. Those games. Bill, I'm sorry to inform you that the chat says that Oregon answer is incorrect because yesterday they kept telling us that we need to talk about how Oregon had a receiver arrested. They got the guy from the portal and thus it's going to totally tank their season. So, which one was it? Holden or Johnson? Uh, Holden. Holden. Holden's off the team now. Yeah. They, they they booted him. Bill does. Bill does not seem super concerned about that chat. Just, I mean, from a projection standpoint, they're losing twenty five catches. That's not gonna. That's not gonna really change anything. But obviously, you know, good recruit. Eleven one ceiling, eight and one floor for the Oregon Ducks. That is Bill Connolly. All of the content that we have been discussing here, you can feast your eyes on it. You can take it into your brain over at ESPN.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at ESPN underscore Bill C. We will be back Wednesday. Happy President's Day to everybody, including us here at the Cover 3 podcast. And what are we going to be doing? That's right. Y'all love the SEC schedule formation. So we're doing it for the Big Ten. Again, next Wednesday, we will be crafting the perfect Big Ten schedule for the expanded league. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3 You can follow him at ESPN underscore Bill C. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you, Hamilton. <laughs>